Everybody, sorry about that. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen by those of you joining us online. Thank you for being with us here today. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adam Stiller. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's uh, just a privilege to be able to share this, uh, this time with you here today. Uh, I want to invite you, if you are new, if you've um, not uh, been here before or if you've not been here for a long time, I'm going to be in the Restless Child room uh, back there, um, which for some of us is appropriate. Um, and I will, uh, I'll be there after the service, and I'd love to meet you. I'd love to find out how I can um, support you and encourage you and pray for you as well. If you want to know a little bit more about this church, that'd be a great opportunity for that too. Um, so this has been quite the week. Uh, there's been, as uh, Obi mentioned in his prayer, there's been some difficult things that have transpired uh, and then some wonderful things that have happened too. Um, for those of you who uh, haven't heard or aren't aware, uh, Don Houghton, um, who he and his wife Alta have been a part of our church for a while and they, um, they had been attending the first service. Um, Don passed away yesterday. Um, he contracted um, COVID and was in the, uh, then the ICU ventilation and then he, um, uh, organs failed and, and um, so they made the decision yesterday. Um, we, we certainly, um, am, we are saddened immensely by this. Um, if you know Don and Alta, I ask that you pray for them and their family as they deal with the loss of, um, uh, you know, important part of our church here. Um, we don't know any details quite yet about uh, services, but we will certainly keep you all up to date on that as soon as we know the information. Um, also, this is, as I mentioned, it's been a good week, too. Um, uh, you noticed when you came in that it looks a little different in the commons. If you took a jaunt around the church, at least maybe not so much uh, today, but in the days leading up to today, you would have noticed a whole lot of stuff going on. Uh, every year we do Operation Christmas Child here at this church, and uh, uh, it's amazing volunteers and individuals who work to make that happen, um, especially our OCC team, uh, Pam Barnes, Mary Teason, uh, Rebecca Bradfield, Linda Hall, Karen Long. Uh, these gals lead the charge, and uh, along with a lot of other volunteers who spend many hours making this happen, uh, we have packed over 5,000 shoeboxes again, uh, which is fantastic. And before you think, well, what is this place, like some sort of Christian footlocker, we, um, we pack shoeboxes full of Christmas gifts for kids um, around the world who don't have uh, any access or semblance or anything like that. Plus, and much more importantly, we put the message of Jesus in each of those boxes. We had an opportunity, if you recall, last um, uh, summer, or this last summer in July, where I had a chance to interview Eve. Uh, he is a gentleman who works with OCC and was the recipient in Africa of a, um, a box that was packed uh, uh, for him by um, some people here in the States a number of years ago. And it not only changed his life and the life of his family, but it caused over 300 people in his community to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So this is amazing. The fact that we've packed over 5,000 boxes and we're not done yet 
is incredible because that means that that message of Jesus is being sent out in spades. So after the service, I invite you to join uh, myself and my family as we venture out into the commons and pack uh, shoeboxes here today and and, uh, continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to kids and families all and communities all around the world. And if you know the gals and the people who have uh, volunteered over the past week, please take a moment, thank them, encourage them, because they certainly have um, earned some um, gems in their crown this week. Um, all right. Well, um, we are starting a new series here today. We, we finished eight weeks uh, where we looked at the first season of The Chosen, which is um, a, a series that depicts the life of Jesus and specifically uh, the uh, people around him. Uh, and uh, I had a great time. I loved doing that. I hope you did too. Uh, but today we're going to start a new series called Silent Night, Holy Night. And I know it is November 21st. We haven't even had Thanksgiving yet. I get it. But if we can be fair, we were walking into stores before Halloween and they were already putting up Christmas stuff, right? So this isn't completely unreal that I would suggest this. Um, but I think, I think also, you know, we do start getting in that frame of mind this time of year. At the very least, we start thinking about um, plans. We make plans uh, with family and, and, and other people, and then we start buying gifts. And so Christmas is on our minds. It's on our heart. So I want to get out ahead of it. I know. I agree. I want to get out ahead of it. And so we're going to do that here today. So we're doing this series called Silent Night, Holy Night. It's a six-week series. It's going to take us through December 26th. And um, uh, in that time, too, I want to just remind you, you see it there in your worship um, card, that we're going to have a um, Home for Christmas event on the 12th. That's uh, going to be a lot of fun. I invite you to be a part of that. And then, obviously, our Christmas Eve services. Um, But Silent Night, Holy Night, what we're going to do over the next six weeks is is explore a balance between finding uh, peace and significance this Christmas. Uh, So I wrote a little summary for this uh, six weeks. I'll read it to you here so you can kind of get a a little bit of uh, an idea of where we're going. Two things go missing each Christmas. Peace and holiness, or silence and holiness. But these two things are integral to getting all that we can from this season. So silence, a.k.a. peace, comes from the intentionality of being still, of listening to God. And the great irony is that even though Christmas is supposed to focus on the Lord, he instead ends up being the one primarily left out. But what would happen if we stopped instead of raced this Christmas? What would happen if we took the time to breathe in all that God is speaking to us? And then holiness, a.k.a. significance, comes from focusing on the glory and majesty of who God is and what he has done. The focus on Christmas is all too often on the warm, fuzzy things that make Christmas comfortable, but what would happen if instead we saw the glory of God this Christmas? What would happen if we lifted our eyes and fixed them on the miracle of God coming to us when we could not get to him? 
So today we're going to uh, begin the process of doing that. We're going to look today at the peace of thankfulness, the peace of thankfulness. Springboarding into the Christmas season with an attitude of thankfulness. And we're going to do that by looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to that. Certainly you can do that on the Bible app if you have that. It'll be on the screen as well. We're going to look at this passage, and for some of you uh, here in the room watching virtually, this passage is familiar. You have heard it. You've read it. Um, you may even be able to recite it, uh, but we're, we're going to look at it in a different way today. But before we go any further, let's read it together. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, starting with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is written by Paul to the church in Philippi. It was also written to us. So in this passage here in Philippians chapter 4, Paul lays out essential Christian values. Christian being um, for those that have recognized their need for a Savior and have thus turn their eyes and their lives to Jesus Christ, believing that he's the Son of God, believing that he died on the cross for your sins and for mine, that he rose from the dead and is living today. And Paul, in this passage, he appeals to all of us to consider the following. So we're going to look at this section by section, all right? The first part of the passage is right at the beginning where he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We're going to hone in on that rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Now, first thing, Paul repeats this word, rejoice. You notice that? Uh, whenever that happens in Scripture, <laughs> whenever that happens with mom, you pay attention, Right? If you repeat a word, probably means something. And so we got to look at that. What is this rejoicing that Paul's talking about? And how is it that we can constantly rejoice? It says rejoice in the Lord always. It's important to point out, and Paul points out this out as well, that rejoicing constantly in and of itself is impossible. That in anything in your life that you uh, feel like you want to rejoice about, uh, if it is in just anything, it won't last. It'll dissipate. It'll go away. There are way too many times where we find ourselves excited about something, right? And then we find the rug pulled out from underneath us. So rejoicing in and of itself always in something, anything, isn't possible. So the only qualifier is what Paul points out. If we're going to rejoice and do that always, 
We can only do that when that rejoicing is in the Lord. The next thing that Paul writes here is let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And we're going to look at that word gentleness. Another word for this, and it's actually a better word, is the word forbearance. The word forbearance. It's a word you've heard before. I doubt you use it very often. But if you were to look at Webster's Dictionary as to what forbearance means, it would read this. Forbearance is the quality of someone who is patient and able to deal with a difficult person or situation without becoming angry. Let me read that again. Forbearance is the quality of someone who is patient and able to deal with a difficult person or situation without becoming angry. That's what Paul is saying when he says, let your gentleness be evident. He's saying, let your forbearance be evident. And this not only applies, and we tend to do this, especially for those that are in the church, we look at something like this and we think, okay, that means that I have to be uh, forbearant for people outside the church. Well, yeah, but it also applies for those inside the church as well. It's actually the same word that, that um, is in Psalm 86, verse 5. It's not going to be on the screen, but it says this, You, Lord, are forgiving and good. You're forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. That word forgiving is the same Hebrew word that Paul uses in the Greek in Philippians 4, that forgiving. And so what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 is this, that to be gentle, to have forbearance with others and with situations means that you always stand ready to forgive that you always stand ready to forgive. It's an attitude of mercy and patience with others, and it's willing to take the whole person's situation into context. That's what Paul's saying. Be gentle and let it be evident to all. That means that if someone were to describe you, that this should be something that they mention. So then Paul continues. He says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And the word that we're going to hone in on there is, is anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Now, this, this word anxious... Um, is not the same word that, that we would use for um, a mental disorder, uh, namely anxiety. Um, that's different. Rather, a better word for this is worry. That's something we can all relate to. Paul's saying here, uh, the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. Do not worry about anything. Um, and Paul says here, he says, he says, do not worry. It's not a suggestion. It's rather a 
command. And with any good command, we're given what to do instead. So he says, Lord is near, do not worry, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. First of all, he says, every situation. In every situation, uh, in another passage, Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing. Now, lest you walk around and completely always talk to yourself and hence cause your family to worry about your sanity. What, is that, what does that mean to, to, in every situation, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God? How is that possible? Well, one thing we need to understand is the relationship between worry and prayer. Imagine it this way. Worry is a raging fire, and prayer is the water that is used to put out that fire. Prayer is what extinguishes the fire of worry, and without prayer, the fire of worry rages on. Now, prayer and petition are important. There's an important distinction that we need to make between the two, and Paul points this out in that passage that was right there on the screen. By prayer and petition, two separate things. With thanksgiving, prayer, present your request to God, petition. Why is that important? Prayer is the act of giving thanks, and petition is the act of making your requests known. Now, Jesus himself, he, he actually gives us this blueprint in Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to that. Um, are we quick on the draw to get up a scripture reference on the screen? You could put up Matthew 6. Nope, don't worry about it. If you can't do it, no hurry, no worry. Um, if you can look in your Bibles, there's Bibles in front of you, um, or your Bible app, I'll read it as well. I'm going to read it through twice. This is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, m- many of you have recited this. You, probably a lot of you haven't memorized. Um, but there's something here in this passage um, that I think a lot of us have um, never seen before. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus says this, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm going to read through it one more time. I want you to listen. I want you to listen see if you can find something that maybe you hadn't noticed before. And as you read, do the same. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We see, we see the relationship between prayer and petition there, first of all. We see the, the prayer of thanksgiving, right? The first half of that prayer is, is a prayer of thanksgiving. Recognizing who God is, what he's done, and what he will do. Okay? Second half of that, of that is, is petition. It's making requests known, okay? But this is what I, I want you to, to realize. Um, the first half, when the prayer is giving thanks, who, who is the subject? God, right? Okay. That's obvious. God is singular. There's one and only God who deserves our praise, who deserves our thanksgiving. Who is the subject of the petition? Us. Why is that significant? The prayer of thanksgiving refers to the one, the one and only God. The prayer of petition refers to the many. Jesus here is instructing us how to pray in that when we pray, we, f- we place the focus of our petition on others, not on ourselves. That means when you pray a prayer of petition, you don't pray for yourself. You might be asking this, what about me? Who then prays for you? Who prays for you? Others. And how do others know what and how to pray for you? You got to tell them. That's, that's what the church is supposed to do. We make our requests known to one another, and then we pray for each other on each other's behalf. When we do that, the water of prayer, it puts out the fire of worry because we are giving thanks to God and that we are lifting then up the needs of others while others are lifting up our needs. Paul continues, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Focus on the peace of God, the peace of God. So Paul gives us a formula. He says, if you have worry, don't. It's <laughs> the first thing he says. But then how do you cease worrying? Well, Paul says here, he says that 
When you pray by offering thanksgiving to God and when you petition to God for the sake of others, then, Paul says, you will experience what? The peace of God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul brings us full circle here. He says that the worry, once it's vanquished through prayers of thanksgiving and petition of lifting up the needs of others, your worry fades away and is replaced with the peace of God. And that peace of God then is what guards your hearts and your minds. You see how that works? Do not worry and you cease worrying, you stop worrying once and only once, you begin to focus your thanks and your praise to God for who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. And you petition for the sake of others. You lift up the requests and needs of others as they then lift up their requests and needs for you. And when you do that, that worry is displaced, it is eradicated, and it is replaced with the peace of God. And that peace of God guards your hearts and your mind. And then you are able to rejoice and then your gentleness becomes evident to all. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that, that the challenge and the truth of your word as we've experienced it here today would encourage and convict. Encourage because... Lord, you, you, you aren't wanting to push us down. You're not wanting to point your finger and say, aha, I got you. Rather, you're wanting to lead us in the way everlasting. You're wanting us to experience your peace. You're wanting us to live out the peace of God so that our hearts and minds are guarded against the arrows of the evil one so that we can rejoice in every situation. So that in every relationship and in every circumstance that we show gentleness, forbearance, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And then the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ who came to save and redeem, that message is the message that prevails. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Praise in your name.